Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I am your host, Elaine Miller Karras, and today's guest is Dr. Tara Well, and she will share with us mirror meditation and how it can help us view ourselves with greater clarity and thrive, which I think we're all interested in that, um, Dr. Well. Um, her new, new book is entitled Mirror Meditation, The Power of Neuroscience and Self-Reflection to Overcome Criticism, Gain Confidence, and See Yourself. That's quite a title, by the way. Yes, so we're indeed. Just, <laughs> we're going to call it Mirror Meditation from here on out, all right? Great. So, ta- yes. so Tara, is it okay if I call you Tara? Is that okay? Yes, of course. All right. So she has her PhD. She's an associate professor of psychology at Barnard College of of Columbia University in New York, New York, where she developed a mirror-based meditation. And it's been called a revelation in the New York Times as an expert on self-awareness, body image, self-compassion, emotional resilience, and meditation. She has appeared on NBC Nightly News and has been quoted in the New York Times, Boston Globe, Washington Post, Bloomberg, Vox, Vice, Forbes, Harper's Bazaar, Shape, Allure, and other media publications. And now we can add resiliency within to that. And her Psychology Today blog, which is quite impressive impressive, by the way, is called The Clarity and has over 1.5 million readers. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you, Elaine. It's a pleasure to be here. And we are so anxious to hear about your ideas and your thoughts. And But before we do that, why don't we just check in to see how you're doing today? What's on your mind as we start today? Well, it's a beautiful day here. I'm in New Haven, Connecticut, looking out at my wonderful view of the um, uh, Quinnipiac River, actually. And um, yeah, just really excited to be here. I've been doing a lot of different uh, promotions for the book. I was actually on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah last week. Oh my gosh, how exciting is that? Talking about small talk with um, Michael Costa. So I was hearing from people who saw me on The Daily Show and uh, just very excited to be on your podcast today and, and, and share more about mirror meditation with your audience. Well, I'm I'm so glad that you're here. And I guess what I've been thinking about this week is is the Queen is Queen Elizabeth. I mean, I yeah. I've never not been on the planet without thinking about her as just being kind of the stalwart of decency um and compassion. And I and that's one of the questions I want to actually ask you about is about compassion. Um, so I, I guess I'm thinking about her and just that as a strong woman, the influence she had on the world. And I think you're being one of those strong women in influencing the world with your book. So, so that gets me to my first question. So what is it about your life experience that brought you to create Mirror Meditation? Well, first of all, I I don't think that I could hold a candle to Queen Elizabeth in terms of everything that that she's done and the the sort of um, role that she upheld for so many years and the sense of duty that she had. I think we always 
her all a tremendous, um, you know, debt of gratitude of, of all that she's done. And, and I think, you know, her kindness as well. They yes. had a number of really interesting clips of some of her humor with the uh, Paddington bear and the, the photo of her with her, with her husband dressed up as uh, one of the guards and her laughing. And I just, I just love those, those images of her, those lighter moments of her life that she, you know, that she was able to have some relief and have, have some, a lot of joy in her life in addition to, you know, a very serious sense of duty. Yes. Yes. And I, I also love the, the little clip she did with Daniel Craig, the 007 clip. Uh-huh. That was great. That was, she great was a good too. sport. A very, very yeah, good sport. Yeah. Not taking yourself too seriously. And, and that's kind of what my work is about too, with the mere meditation. It's not about taking it too seriously. There are some aspects to it that, um, you know, the mere can evoke a, a lot of self-criticism for people. And I invite people to not take it too seriously, but just to look and to be curious. Um, I've always had a fascination with mirrors my whole life. I remember when I was a, uh, a little girl, we used to have a chrome toaster on the table and it, you know, created a nice reflective image. And I would make all these faces and everything in the chrome toaster for as long as my parents would let me every day. And then, you know, as I grew older, I kind of developed more of a, um, uh, a less positive relationship with the mirror because I started to use the mirror to criticize my appearance and to compare it to uh, uh, fashion models and magazines and mm. uh, and people on TV who had these perfect images. And I think like many young women and people in general uh, just uh, start to associate the mirror with finding flaws and faults with their appearance. But then um, over time, uh, actually, uh, I started to use the mirror in meditation. And this came about um, because one day I had, I was looking, I was just like kind of walking around my apartment, doing chores and what whatnot. And I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. And I noticed like how kind of like sad and distressed I looked. Hmm. And I hadn't realized I had felt that way. Uh, but the mirror kind of like reflected that to me. I'm like, hmm, you know? So I started to meditate with the mirror. I had been developing, a, I had yoga meditation practice for many years. And uh, a lot of, you know, one school of thought with yoga is that you do these yoga and stretches so that you can sit for a long period of time in, med in meditation. So your body is comfortable to sit for a long time in meditation. So after I would do yoga, I would meditate and then I would close my eyes and my mind would drift in all these different directions and different things. And I tried just breathing and focusing and breathing and focusing. And then I decided, you know, just to open my eyes. Cause I oftentimes used a mirror to help me do my yoga for my yoga positions. And so just to look at myself, my face as I was meditating and to focus on my eyes as a drishti or the focal point. And I really discovered quite a bit about myself. Um, once I got beyond that surface layer of wanting to criticize myself or, you know, a wrinkle, a flaw, a lump of flesh that I didn't want to be there or something, um, and I looked deeper into my own eyes, something really clicked and changed for me. And it became a very useful way to me, for me to be in contact with myself. And it's like, I naturally developed a sense of compassion. It, was, it wasn't like I was working hard to feel compassionate and say compassionate things and think compassionately, but it was just like, oh, I see myself. Hmm. And there was an aspect that it's like, I can almost see my own suffering. I see how my thoughts are making me suffer because I can see it on my face. And do you think it was more looking into your eyes and looking at your entire face in terms of the focal point? 
Yeah, I think it yeah. was my eyes, my face. And it was also, you know, having all the other information, such as my body sensations, such as where, where was I feeling tense? And then where did my face look tense? And what thoughts went along with, with that tension that I saw? And, you know, how did my breathing change when I looked at myself or I thought a critical thought? You can watch your breathing in the mirror and you can see how, how that how your thoughts actually changed that. So it was a combination of being able to look at my physical body, being able to watch my face and track my thoughts and my breathing and, and just my body sensations of, of looking at myself. And it was a tremendous amount of information yes. to, to process and to think about that, that I was very useful to me. So I thought it might be useful to other people too. Well, I, I think it's so interesting because I was sharing with you about the community resiliency model, which is something that I've developed. And the core aspect of it is body sensation awareness. It's it's called interoceptive awareness. And so what what I, that's what I'm hearing from you. But I'm, can I ask you a question about it? When you notice, let's say, if there was distress in your face, would you, with any intentionality, try to relax your facial muscles? Or was it noticing the distress and following it and then to see what happened? It would depend because you could do both. Um, one of the things that I I um, like to suggest to people who are doing mirror meditation is to simply be, be with yourself, get to know yourself without trying to fix or change anything. Because oftentimes, um, you know, people who are interested in meditation and some of these techniques, they're on a pretty rigorous self-improvement program. And that in and of itself can be kind of brutal. So what yes. you want to do is is to just like, Hang out with yourself and see what comes up. Try not to be too unkind to yourself, but just be really curious. If I sit with myself for 10 minutes with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and I just look at myself uh, silently and, and be silent, what is that experience like for me? If I didn't have to do anything to change anything, make it better? Or, Almost kind of like, like a radical self-acceptance of the, just the way you are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering if you could, um, having read a little bit about your work that you have, you talk about there's three principles in mindfulness meditation. Could you say what those three, three principles are and how that is connected to mirror meditation? Sure. Well, the three basic principles of mindfulness are first, uh, keeping your, pre your, your attention in the present moment. So this is just, again, bringing your attention back to yourself to what's happening currently, not thinking about what's gonna happen in the future, not thinking about what's happening in the past. And then the second principle is to have an open awareness. So this is meditating with yourself in the mirror with, again, not having an agenda, nothing to fix, nothing to change, nothing to improve, nothing to compare yourself to of how good you're doing it compared to other people or anything, just being with yourself and being curious. And also what I suggest to people is, Consider the possibility that there are ways to see yourself that you haven't discovered yet. Hmm. There are things about yourself that you haven't discovered yet, no matter how much life experience you have. And, and having that orientation, it really gives you some space to change and grow and to experience things that, you know, you might not think are possible. Well, you know, one of the thoughts I had as I was reading more about what you have written and is that I've worked with so many people over the years. They could have three PhDs and be the most accomplished person, be on the media every day, you know, asked, being asked their opinion. And then behind the closed doors is the most incredible self-criticism that is almost paralyzing. 
um, in their personal relationships. And I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that, because I know that self-criticism is one of the things that you highlight about how can we deal with that mm-hmm. self-criticism by, and I'm thinking, looking in the mirror, really? Oh gosh, is that going to really help me? Right. And that brings me to the third principle, which is having a kind intention toward yourself yes. too. Because if you're just looking and scrutinizing, then you can end up being very unkind. And the mirror can be a tool to be cruel to yourself, more cruel than you normally are. So you don't want to do that. But having a kind intention, just orienting toward yourself as though, you know, it sounds a little cheesy and cliche, but, but, as though you're you're looking at a, a friend, someone you love, love, someone you care about, uh, and also one of the one of the things too is when you notice that you're looking at yourself and you're criticizing yourself, see if you can shift your focus instead of being the object of your criticism to seeing yourself from the perspective of the the receiver of that criticism. Look into your eyes and see the person who's being criticized, rather than the person who needs to be fixed. And that can oftentimes create a tremendous shift because it's like once people realize that it's an inside job, they're doing it to themselves. Okay. I mean, you might have critical people in your life who are criticizing you, but, but when you're doing a mirror meditation, it's just you in the mirror and criticisms come up. You're, 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 that's your habit. That's your orientation toward yourself. And that's a, a place where maybe you can create a little bit more space or think about how to be kinder. Or just well, let let it go a little bit. <laughs> well, and you would talk about that self-critic. I mean, that self-critic can be riding, you know, driving your bus. So that's all that you see is what yeah. you're not doing right. Or, and I think the other aspect of I was thinking about the social media. I remember I felt like I was pretty naive about what people did in terms of photographs. I had no I- idea that they actually would Photoshop things and take away wrinkles and and things that were, I guess, not perfect. And so then we're always holding ourselves up to something that's not real. Yeah, indeed. Well, and, and that's one of the, um, the, one, one of the stories in my book. Um, I've, I've, I've worked with some people who are, you know, influ- influencers on social media. And one of the, the problems that they discover is because all their images are Photoshopped, that then they develop social anxiety to see people in person because they realize they look so different. In oh person. my gosh. Yeah. So it creates more anxiety and more self-criticism because they can't live up to the image that they've created. Uh, so, so I encourage people who, uh, tend to be very image focused to do the mirror meditation with no makeup. First thing in the morning, just roll out of bed and, you know, sit in front of the mirror and just take a look for, for 10 minutes. Well, I can imagine that the whole world needs to do this. I mean, I was thinking about, of course, influencers, um, actors, but I mean, just, I think what what teenagers do to themselves when they compare themselves to something that is, you know, obviously not attainable by many people. But so that kind of goes into segue into my next, some of the questions I want to ask you. And you shared that your students and practitioners have, um, have shared with you the benefits that they've learned. I mean, including illuminating their ability to solve problems, providing perspective on their experiences, validating hunches and intuition, building a vault of creative ideas, fostering gratitude. This seems like this needs to be in the water. So can you, hi- can you talk a little bit about these um, wonderful attributes that people have shared with, with you and tell us a little bit more about it? 
Yes. Well, well, the three main things that people discover just from doing the mere meditation, and then I'll also talk a little bit about the video journaling practice that kind of goes in conjunction with the mere meditation. But from, from just doing the mere meditation, the, the first thing that people really notice is just how critical they are with themselves. Because oftentimes we have this inner critic running in the background and people don't realize that it's there all the time. And it really affects the quality of their life and the quality of their, certainly their relationship with themselves. So bringing that to the forefront and realizing how much you're affected by these critical thoughts is really the first step in changing them and be having the motivation to change your, your relationship with yourself from that perspective. And then the second thing is um, people became much more aware of their emotions because oftentimes we have, um, you know, social display rules in which we don't, shouldn't, where we, get trained not to share certain emotions, uh, so-called negative emotions, usually fear, anger, uh, sadness, disgust. Uh, we want to just be like, oh. <laughs> and oftentimes, you, you know, when we're just smiling, we have that nice, social, pleasant social smile on our face and we're feeling other feelings that we're not supposed to share. Sometimes doing that uh, habitually, we can actually lose contact with what we really are feeling. We don't realize that we're sad or angry or feel disgusted by something someone said or did, uh, and that it's kind of showing up micro momentarily on our faces, but we don't have that reflection. So being able to create a safe space for you to sit with yourself and feel all your emotions, letting all your thoughts and emotions come out, even if they're, uh, you know, you don't want to share them with other people. In a sense, you create a sense of int intimacy with yourself. So you, you, you develop a way of trusting yourself to be able to share anything you're feeling, anything you're thinking with yourself. Well, can, I oftentimes, ask, yeah, yeah. can I ask a question? So once people start, let's say they use the mirror meditation and they begin to be aware. So their awareness, even when they're not looking in the mirror, expand. So do you find that people don't necessarily need to look at the mirror to have that degree of deep self-reflection? Yes. After they've been doing it for a while, um, they'll be much more aware of their emotions uh, than perhaps they were. And the other thing is, you know, we use other people as reflections for us. So, you know, we have a friend saying, well, you look kind of sad today. Are you, are, did that, would that make you angry what I just said or something like that, that, that kind of like helps us to uh, uh, regulate. We need face-to-face -face contact to regulate our emotions. And as we get less face-to-face -face contact because of social isolation, because we spend more time looking at our screens than we do looking at each other, we actually be can become emotionally dysregulated simply because we don't have the face-to-face -face contact. So, oh, okay. so it has to be in person. Because here we're on Zoom right now, and I'm just saying, I think I've looked at myself more in the last two years than I have in my entire right, life. Right, yes. right, right. And so it's helping people to get comfortable with that. So um, I think as we're talking about this, this is yeah. just such an important element because of, yeah. you know, we many of us spend a lot of our lives on Zoom right now. And so, right. but it's a little bit different because it may not be as intentional as what you're doing with you're saying, okay, this is my time for mirror meditation. I guess I, that, that, that's my, another question I have. I, I would love for you to continue to illuminate the different um, benefits of it, but how long do you suggest as, as people are starting to practice, how long should they do this? 
I would, uh, I recommend 10 minutes a day. Um, and you know, you can work up to that and you can also just sit with yourself and you don't necessarily have to gaze into your eyes for 10 full minutes, but just sitting with yourself, you can oftentimes too focus on your breathing. You can watch your collarbones move up and down as you breathe. Uh, uh, I recommend doing some deep breaths and some, and some, uh, you know, like a little bit of a progressive relaxation as you sit with yourself. Uh, cause you can sometimes, you know, you want to keep your gaze very soft cause you can almost bore a hole into your, you know, look, you're really <laughs> staring very carefully. You can almost start to hallucinate almost or having a, having, um, you know, uh, uh, stranger visual things happen. So you want to keep your gaze soft and you want to, you know, keep coming back to seeing your full self. If you, if you kind of start focusing in and then, you know, just getting used to that and seeing what it's like to be with yourself, uh, is really key. And, and so then, as ahead. people start to do this, then, I mean, again, illuminating their ability to solve problems. How does that happen? Why do you think if you do this, all of a sudden you're sparked by thinking, oh, I can handle this problem now. What is it about it that, that causes that? Yeah, it's amazing. Well, well, one of the other practices that I talk about in the book is video journaling. And video journaling is basically just making a, a video journal 10 minutes every day, uh, uh, just saying whatever's on your mind, uh, letting, letting that be a free flow. If you know of... Um, uh, the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Oh, yes. I read about, it eight years ago. Yes. yes. The morning pages, writing yes, yes. Three, three pages longhand of anything that comes to mind. Well, this is like a video morning pages where you just blah, 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 talk for 10 minutes about everything that's on your mind. And through the content, through doing that for a number of, uh, well, I've done it for a number of years and, and, and many of my students have done it for a period of time. And what happens with, with that is, you know, one of the things that happens, the, some psychological processes that happen in terms of our memory and how we perceive things is when things work out fine, we forget about them. When something bad happens, we have a negativity bias and we tend to remember things that didn't work out well, that, that hurt, that felt bad, and then things that we don't complete, things that we wanted to do that we didn't get to do, we remember. But everything that we did well that worked out, we just kind of forget about. So when you have a video journal, you have um, a record of sort of like hmm. the things that have worked out and how a video journal is kind of different than just doing a written journal is seeing yourself on video in the moment that these things happen, that these good things happen, that bad things happen, that you they have problems and you don't know how to solve the problems. And then you look back six months later, you're like, I can't believe how upset I was about that, you know, and now it's completely solved. I figured it out, you know, so you develop confidence because you see how many problems you solved that you just forgot about because you solved them. Well, so, uh, so, so then after you do your video journal, then part of the process is you have to go back and watch them. Is that you have to what? review them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, them. and so do you review them like after a month, after two months, what is your suggestion? And when you go back, it's up to you. Um, you know, sometimes I do, I, I recommend to people like, for instance, if you reviewed your video journal, like a significant day, like your birthday or, or an anniversary or something that, ha that happened in your life, you know, go back every six months or every year to that day and see how much you've changed, you know, or go back to, um, you know, right before something happened, you know, we all have these goals of things that we want to, 
to happen in our lives. And there are times when it feels like it's never going to happen. You know, there's never going to, going to happen. Change, yeah. And, and then it does, you know? And so you go back to a time like a few years earlier when you were feeling discouraged and you see, oh, it really did happen. It really did work out. Uh, and the other thing I, I um, suggest that people do is, you know, oftentimes people deal with, you know, self-doubt and anxiety and things like that. And to make a 10-minute video journal when you're having a great day, when you're feeling confident, everything's going well, you're feeling very calm and, and just optimistic, and just make a video journal talking to yourself, reassuring yourself that you're fine and everything's fine and that you can you have the confidence to deal with anything. And then watch that back when you're having a bad day. <laughs> well, that, that's so interesting because, you know, we say how powerful films are, right? That we've yeah. all been impacted by certain films. But then you're saying, oh, I'm watching a film of myself of something that actually turned out well. So that must be in and of itself reinforcing on your life journey. Yes, totally. And and again, you know, it's great to also have like a group of friends or a, or a life partner who's there to remind you of these things. But oftentimes, you know, given how relationships change and we move and it's hard to stay connected to people, you can always stay this connected to yourself. So so you know, it sounds a little cheesy, but your 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 relationship with yourself is the longest relationship in your life. <laughs> so you really want to take care of it and and keep a record of it. Well, Keep so, record what's happened. So you're sparking all sorts of ideas for you. One of the, uh, one of the questions I want to ask you, have you ever done this where you've had, let's say, I know because you teach that you have a group of students and their assignment is to do video journaling and then you get together and share your video journals together. And is can there be a group process that can also be enhanced and enhancing your kind of co-regulation with others? Well, I generally advise people to keep their video journals private because one of the things that happens is, you know, we, we self-censor. So we're in a lot of situations where we need to self-censor, even with our partners, our families, people that are closest to us, chances are we don't want to say everything that is on our mind <laughs> because, you know, th that can be distressing to other people. <laughs> right. So, so, so it's good that you have a certain way of communicating with yourself that's only for yourself. I do occasionally suggest if people are having difficulties or they're, you know, they're trying to sort out big problems that they make video journals, review them, and then maybe review them with their therapist or a good friend to, in order to get some perspective. But I try to discourage people from making video journals to show to other people, because that's kind of what we're doing on social media as it is of, you know, talking up all the great things about ourselves and trying to be entertaining and fun for other people. And so the idea behind your own private video journaling practice is to let your guard down and just to really, really see yourself feeling all your emotions and really see yourself feeling more vulnerable and less guarded than you might in social situations. Well, because then you also then um, run the risk of the critics that happen in other people. And then that's kind of the absolute opposite that you're trying to do for learning about the self. And with that. Right. Well, yes. Uh, one of the things I think is running in our, the background all the time for us is whether or not we're going to be rejected or accepted by other people based on right. what we say. Yeah. And, and being able to let go of that, of that, um, you know, uh, um, thought or, or that sense of, of needing to censor oneself uh, it can be very liberating. Well, 
Clara, I am just enjoying this conversation so much. We're going to take a short break in just a minute. But what I'm hoping that you will do when we come back, there's a couple questions. And I know I want to talk about the neuroscience behind this work, because I know that there is evidence that this really does work. And the other question I have is about, you know, many of my listeners could have in an eating challenge and eating what they call them eating disorders. And I'm wondering if this can be an effective way to help. And I imagine you might need to work with a therapist, but if you could illuminate us a little bit about that when we come back from the break, I think that would be really helpful. So stay tuned, listeners. We're going to take a short break and we're going to be back with, with Dr. Tarawell and she's going to share more about mirror meditation. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. This is Elaine miller Karras, and I am talking to Dr. 
Tara Well, and we are talking about her book, Mirror Meditation. And we've had a wonderful conversation so far, and we need to learn more about this. Um, I'm asking her right now, kind of segue into talking about the neuroscience behind mirror meditation. So what do we need to know about what we're learning about the um, really the evidence behind why this is an important practice? Well, one of the things that the mirror does is it, is it externalizes what's sort of happening inside our minds so that we can, we can take a look at it on our faces. So one of the ways that one, some of the studies that have been done on um, using mirrors, and, and you might've heard of um, Louise Hay developed something called mirror work uh, uh, yes. many years ago in which um, she suggested, you know, saying positive affirmations to yourself in the mirror. And for years that was just thought of as something kind of anecdotal or kind of like folk, folk psychology, but a recent study that was done by Nicola uh, Petroshki uh, showed that um, actually saying saying compassionate phrases in front of a mirror has some um, self-soothing effects. So there were three conditions in the experiment. Uh, well, first of all, they, they asked people to come up with some compassionate, reassuring things they would say to a friend who was, you know, feeling distressed and that they wanted to to uh, express some compassion to a friend. And so they had the phrases. And then in one condition, the people said the phrases to themselves, just uh, plain. And another condition, they were just looked at themselves in the mirror. And in a third condition, they said the phrases and looked at themselves in the mirror. And they found that um, actually saying these, these compassionate phrases to themselves in the mirror had a self-soothing effect, uh, uh, meaning, um, in, in neuroscience, there are ways that we can um, use uh, 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 certain types of emotional states to downward regulate. So when we're feeling very distressed, we tend to um, uh, uh, be in a state of sort of over arousal. So we're always trying to find out ways that we can relax into our bodies and um, self-regulate. And basically saying these compassionate phrases help people downward regulate and actually help them to stay calm. So, and, and that was measured through physiological changes as well as changes in the brain. So it's not just in your imagination when you say positive things that you feel better, but it's a really, it's a real physiological change that takes place. And so working with the mirror and working with your um, feelings uh, and, and then uh, developing a way to soothe yourself as you look at using the mirror as a self-soothing uh, uh, tool uh, uh, really does work if you're, if you're willing to, you know, give it, give it a try and, and um, get past those initial self-criticisms. Well, so, and that was kind of my other question about, you know, people with eating disorders oftentimes do not have a good relationship with their body, sometimes do not like to look at themselves in the mirror and see every flaw. Talk about the negativity bias is incredibly amplified. So could you say a little bit about how mirror um, meditation could help? And if it could help, does someone need to be working with a therapist with that specialty? Just let us know a little bit more about your opinion about that. 
Right. Well, I do talk about a little bit about uh, body dysmorphic disorder in the book, which is basically uh, when people use the mirror to find some kind of flaw that they see in their in their body, whether it's something that only they see or something very small, but it kind of gets very magnified in their minds. And actually um, looking at brain scans of people with this disorder shows that they have a very, very narrow uh, focus in terms of where they look when they look in the mirror. So um, uh, they can't see their whole selves. They focus on one little tiny flaw. So actually some psychotherapists who specialize in um, body image and eating disorders actually use the mirror as part of their psychotherapy. Now it's, it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword in a sense, because mm -hmm. you can use the mirror to be very brutal and practice your body dysmorphic disorder. So what I would recommend is if you have a tendency to do that, that you do see a licensed psychotherapist. You know, if you find that you can't stop not looking at a certain flaw and that that's causing you a lot of distress, then you should definitely, um, you know, seek out the, um, the help of a, of a licensed clinical psychologist who specializes eating disorders. Uh, but it's actually um, a, a distortion of how uh, we see uh, people with that disorder see themselves when they look in the mirror. And um, the other thing that we find is um, people, sometimes people ask me like about narcissism and isn't it narcissistic to look at yourself in the mirror? Well, the research that shows when, when people who uh, have a narcissistic personality disorder or any kind of distortion in their self image, they tend not to be able to see their emotions and the emotions of other people as readily, but they get stuck on some kind of surface uh, uh, characteristics, some kind of thing about their appearance, either something that they love about themselves or something that they dread about themselves. But in my view, it seems to be sort of like almost an emotion regulation strategy. So in other words, if someone with body dysmorphic disorder, if they're focused on, you know, they don't like their nose or they don't like some little aspect of their, of their appearance, they're focused on that. But if they, if they kind of panned out and saw themselves more broadly, they might be overwhelmed by some of their emotions, by, by some of the other things that are, that are happening in their lives that, that they also don't feel that they can control. So working with a licensed therapist, I think would be a good idea. And also what I oftentimes ask people to do when they first start doing your meditation is, you know, as you look at yourself, keeping your gaze soft, what is your general affective tone toward yourself? When you first look at yourself, when you just glance at yourself and even not even doing mirror meditation, you know, you, you know, you're in an elevator or you walk past a pane of glass and you see yourself, you see your reflection. What's the affective tone? What, you know, is it positive? Is it negative? Is it sad? Is it angry? Do you feel vulnerable? You know, how do you feel when you just glance at yourself? Because you can use this as a vehicle for greater self-understanding and right. also more information to share with your therapist if you find, oh my gosh, every time I look at a mirror, I actually don't want to look at the mirror. I try to not look at myself. So, you know, what does that say about you if you don't want to look at yourself at all in the mirror, right? I imagine right. there's all sorts of implications of that. 
Right, right. And I mean, and a lot of people do do tell me, they say, oh, I can never do that. I don't want to look at myself in the mirror. Yeah. It's like, well, what, what does that say about your relationship to yourself? And oftentimes too, you know, we have, we want to be in relationships with other people where they, where they know us very deeply and they see us and they love and appreciate us. But are we really willing to do that for ourselves? you know, um, uh, to be seen, to allow ourselves to be seen by ourselves first. Right. So let me ask you about a little bit more about this, because I've been concerned about the world the last few years about oh, some, yeah. sometimes seeing a great lack of compassion for people who have different ideas than ourselves. And sometimes, you know, really vilifying others if they don't quite think exactly the way we do. Um, and be concerned about, you know, the implications of that for our children, how we communicate with one another if there's no tolerance for, for differences. And, and to me, it has a lot to do with not only self-compassion, but compassion for others. And if you can um, make a comment about how this, how mirror meditation could be helpful. Yeah, I, I think that, that it's, I mean, with social media and our ways of communicating these days, in my view, I don't know that things are necessarily getting worse in terms of people's intolerance and vilification of each other who have different ideas. I think it's just more prevalent and we see it more because people have all these vehicles to communicate on Twitter, on social, on, on different types of social media, so that it's kind of like maybe people have been thinking this all along and now they're actually saying it possible right possible. and 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 this is the first step toward healing it towards awareness of how people see each other and i oftentimes think you know like what if we lived in a world where everyone could read each other's minds what if we knew exactly what people were thinking about us exactly what we're at and maybe maybe twitter is the is the like the awkward precursor to that and so it's training us to go oh well when i say that it really hurts people or when i say that about myself it really hurts me or when this happens and so it's like how can we manage all it's like a big emotional emotion regulation experiment on a global scale <laughs> yeah and sometimes there's no integrity gps to that in that system that's been created right, right well well that's one of the um it didn't make it into the book i had several other chapters i wanted to write that didn't quite make it in the book but uh one of them is what i call an integrity exercise which is like can you look yourself in the eye in the mirror after you said it after you did it after you thought it I think that you know? needs to be your next book. I think we need this more than ever right now. Well, so, you know, I guess that's the, you know, the other question I have too is about along with what I've been noticing in, I guess, in the world. And I think there's, there's been an, we know there's an amplification of anxiety and depression amongst um, young people and also um, elders. So um, how can mirror meditation help with anxiety management? Or can it? I think it can. I mean, it, I mean, like I said, it can work both ways too, because in, in one sense, it can magnify your anxiety. If you're just looking at the mirror, freaking out, being anxious, it's going to be worse. But you want to use some of these tools that I have in the book, um, which is kind of one of them is, is monitoring your self-talk. There's some very good research that shows that if you switch your self-talk to the third person, so if I say, Tara's feeling anxious instead of I'm feeling anxious, it gives me some distance. 
And in that distance, I can develop a perspective. I can develop some compassion. I can give myself a little bit of space to figure out what I, what I want to do. So talking to yourself in the third person in the mirror, uh, might sound like a kooky idea. It sounds but- a little bit different. I'm going, Elaine, you need to, oh, my, Elaine, maybe you shouldn't have said that. And I'm uh-huh, it, uh-huh. like, if my husband came in the room, he's going, uh, what are you doing, honey? What are you doing? Right, right. Yes. Right. So, I mean, it, it's worth a try. The other thing I talk about in the book is the difference between the inner critic and the inner nurturer. The inner nurturer is the idea that we have. We have critical voices that live in our heads, but we also have a kind voice that lives in our head. In some ways, the critical voices usually drowned out the, the kind voices. But if you can find a kind voice, you know, maybe that comes from a, a parent or a teacher or a loved one who, you know, what would they say in, in this situation? Well, how would they you know, response so that you have the two voices. And I actually have um, what I call a slinky exercise, the old toy that we used to yes. have with the, and, and what in one hand you have your inner critic and in the other hand you have your inner nurture and you go back and forth with the two hands when you're, when you're, you know, processing something, a situation that you regret or something that you're feeling anxious about or a decision you have to make. And, and just, you know, that prominent critical voice, but then what's the nurturing voice saying? What is the kind voice in you say to this, to give, to make sure you give that kind voice airtime. And so do you do the video journaling with the kind voice and the critic voice? Is that a, would, would that be an exercise that a tool that you feel that would be useful? You can, yes, you can do it with both, or you can just do it with uh, sitting in front of the mirror. The, the thing about watching back your video journal when you've been kind of unkind to yourself, and then you come back to it a couple of days later when you're feeling better, and you see yourself and you see, oh my God, I'm so unkind. Ooh, how can I be so mean to myself? Oh my gosh, <laughs> you know? And, and so that's another way you get perspective, you know, because again, if, you know, uh, you know, if we're fortunate enough to have someone in our life who's always there, who's giving us moment to moment, really kind and accurate feedback, that's great. But oftentimes we have to kind of rely on ourselves for that uh, in a number of contexts because other people are just doing what they're doing. And they're also filtering their reflections of us through their own needs and their own their own ideas about us that aren't necessarily the same as ours are. So it's important to um, be able to discern, you know, uh, feedback from other people that's worthwhile uh, uh, from that, that probably we don't need to focus on too much, right? Because that's the other thing about being on social media and, you know, doing anything, you get all kinds of crazy projections and reflections from people. How do you know what's a good reflection? What's something useful? And what's just something that's unkind and not useful? Well, if you don't really know yourself that well, or if you're always kind of like your blind spot is your own self-criticisms and your own self-doubt, then any stranger can just randomly say something and feed into all that. Right. And, and that's not a way that we want to be vulnerable when we're out in the world. Well, and I think if people have, like, let's say they have depression or some kind of mental health condition, that negativity bias can be more amplified. So it can oh, yeah. be harder for even to say, oh, I'm going to talk about it in the third person. Oh, I need to be more self-compassionate to myself. I need to have mm-hmm. more gratitudes because then you'd say, oh, well, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. So I'm just wondering when people get into those kind of dialogues, do you want them to have the dialogue and then to look back at it later? 
Well, I mean, anybody who's severely depressed or severely anxious should be under the care of a, of a licensed clinical psychologist. And, you know, they sh- that person should be informed that they're doing, you know, th- this kind of a, a mere meditation, if that's useful. Um, I think it's great if you're better if you just feel that these things fluctuate from time to time, if you tend to feel a little down about something or two, like, you know, if you're starting any kind of project, I mean, you know, if you've, you've written books and this, this was my first book that I wrote and there was a lot of ups and downs in the process of, of, of doing it. It's not an easy task to do, you know? And so there are days when I feel great and days when I feel like, Oh, I don't know, but no, what am I doing here? Well, this is kind of a crazy idea, you know? And I want to be able to see both parts of me. I want to be able to see the part of me that thinks this is the best thing in the world and the part of me that thinks this is kind of a dumb idea, you know, and 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 can I tolerate that? Can I tolerate having these different um, feelings about it? So it kind of I think it can create more emotional resiliency and, and you know, more tolerance of different emotions, because if you can let yourself be really angry and see yourself be really angry and know that you didn't hurt anybody and nothing really bad happened and you calmed down and everything was OK. And then one minute you're really, really happy and on top of the world, you know, it's it's like you you're able to witness yourself having these different emotions and in some ways that leads you to trust yourself more. So does that like, so it's like you're one step removed. Oh, then I can, I see what's happening now. It's yeah. almost like it's, it's you, but it's not you. Is that? But, well, yeah. And you're kind of watching yourself from a third person perspective. Right. Exactly. So, so now I can be like, Oh, there I go again, getting really negative about <laughs> yes. this thing. I know not to make any decisions because I'm in this negative space. I'm going to wait until I feel a little bit better. Well, or- I can, I can imagine it could be very <laughs> useful in relationships. Like, okay, now, you know, just taking a name out of the air, Mary, that is not a good guy for you. You know, how many times uh-huh. do you have to go and have the same thing? And then the other part's going, oh, but he can be so kind and he takes me out to dinner. He brings me roses. You know, it's like going uh-huh. back and forth. What, you know, what, what's, what makes you decide to do one thing or another? I guess it's, and that goes into, you said that, oh, this mirror um, meditation validates hunches and intuition. So how does that work if you're having these kind of conversations with yourself? Well, it can work because when you first met this person, you had your initial sense and then you can watch how your sense of them changed over the course of six months. So, you know, you're, you know, you're on a big high when you first meet the person, then over time you, you develop more Mm -hmm. self-doubt. You don't feel as good about yourself. Hmm, Where did that come from? Kind of a thing. You know, The, the other thing is, you know, we sometimes have these momentary kind of flashes of people. I wonder if this person's like this. Ah, they're probably not like that. If you say that in your video journal, six months after you've entered in a relationship or in a business contract, you can validate which of your hunches were worked and which really didn't. I, I'm, I'm laughing here because I mean, how many times have I done that in my own life going, I knew that. Why did I trust that hunch, right? And you did something even though maybe you knew that in your gut you shouldn't, but you did it anyway and it bit you. <laughs> Right. It's like hindsight is twenty twenty, yes. but it's also in your video journal. If you go back and look and you go, oh my gosh, yeah, I, I did have some doubts about that and it didn't quite. So you can get better at your hunches. And the other thing is, you know, going back to that integrity exercise, if you, if you do, you know, you can get caught up in the moment with people who are very charismatic and have a lot of great, you know, f- feeling great in the moment, then you always want to come back to yourself. And look yourself in the eye after you have this experience with another person or a group of people who've led you into this kind of 
state of, you know, feeling great or not feeling great or really changed your, your, who you, who you feel you are and come back to yourself so that you, you, um, kind of stay on top of or stay aware of how other people are influencing you. So that you really, like I was saying, you have your own better GPS system because yes. this, this, this amount of self-reflection is giving you much greater insights about how you respond to your world. I mean, I, this is, I, mean, I think it's just fascinating. And that is my kind of my, one of my last questions is about fostering gratitudes. Um, can you say a little bit about how this helps? I mean, people are reporting to you going, oh, I I'm, I'm, have more gratitudes now that I've been doing this. How does that happen? Yes. And I, I know we oftentimes hear about like things like gratitude and self-compassion as practices. Like we have to practice. Okay. Name every day. You have to name five things you're grateful for and recite them off. And, and, and that works. The research shows that that works, but with, with the video journaling and the mere meditation practice, uh, gratitude seems to naturally help well in people for, for one thing, you, if you, if you do it over a period of time and you, you keep track of what's happening in your life, you know, you again have these experiences when you're striving for something, for something to happen. And then, it, and then it does. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, how hard that was or how much I, how much, how much effort that took. Because oftentimes too, when things happen, we're always like, oh yeah, that was so easy. And we forget about how hard it was, you know? And then also too, you know, I've had, um, you know, over the course of me doing this, uh, developing this program, both of my parents had passed away and it oh, was, it was, well, it's, it, thank you. It's life. It's, it's, life. It's, it's life, right? They were, they were quite, quite elderly. And, but it was like, I remember doing it when they were still alive and I can go back and look at, I can even hear my mom's voice in the background of some of my videos that I've made, you know, and then, and then I just have the gratitude for the the things and the people in my life that are no longer in my life and just, you know, relationships that people have come and uh, come and gone. And I remember, you know, I have these videos of talking about, Oh, I did this cool thing with this person and we did this. And then looking back on it, I go, Oh, wow. I'm so grateful that, that I had, those great experiences that I shared with myself in my video journal. And I have to say, when you just said that you just lit up, your eyes Uh sparkled. I mean, it was really nice to hear you talking about your gratitudes and your, your mom. So we only have a couple of minutes left. And if there's any parting words you'd like to leave our, um, our listeners. Well, I would just like to say, uh, you know, if this appeals to you, please get my book. There's lots more exercises in it. Don't be afraid to look at yourself. And also, if you feel a little bit like like the approach avoid, like, I don't know if I could do it, then you should definitely do it. <laughs> so I want to, and I'm going to say the name of the book again is Mirror Meditation, The Power of Neuroscience and Self-Reflection to Overcome Self-Criticism, Gain co- Confidence and See Yourself. That is one of the longest titles I think I've had on the show so far. And I just want to say it's been so lovely to talk with you. Um, a lot of the show is about what else is true in our lives. And I can't help to say when you talk about mirror meditation, we're asking ourselves what else is true about ourselves. And when if right. we're living in that the, those places of self-criticism, that just seems like another vehicle that could really be helpful for us. I love that. What else is true about me? You could say that in the mirror and, and have it be an open question. And what else is true about me? I love that. And also you can, you can find, I don't know if you're going to put that in the notes, but you can find me at mirrormeditation.com as a way to contact me. So okay. Mirror meditation. 
Yes. So mirrormeditation.com. So please contact her if you want more information, but go buy her book. And by the way, on Amazon, I went there and I took a look at it and she had like all these reviews. She's got five stars. So I think it's a worthy read. So thank you so much. It was so great to meet you. Thank you, Elaine. Yeah. So great great talking with you. you. Yeah. And so, um, and to my audience, until we uh, meet again, just continue to look at what what else may be true in your life. I think um, we have another illustration of another person who's helping people with um, a very interesting new modality called mirror meditation. Until we meet again. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.